it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have the episode 200, the big 200. We made it to 200 episodes. So tonight, we're going to answer some listener questions. We have three really good ones that we thought would be a great learning experience for everybody. So we thought we'd share those with you, and Andrew and I will do our usual give and take. So I will go ahead and read the first question. So I have, hi, Andrew. I am a huge fan of the podcast and really appreciate all of the advice and knowledge that you and Dave share. I have a question about stock screeners. I'm hoping you could help shed some light on. I've created a couple of stock screeners using metrics you've shared on previous podcasts to look for good value stocks to buy. Most of these picks have been great buys. I continue to hold them and they have been doing well, but I have a question. What do you normally do when a stock you have previously purchased no longer shows up in the stock screener that you used to find it? I'm assuming that means that it's no longer a great buy. Does that mean that it should be a sell? I'm just curious what your steps are to take that point if the stock you owned, any insight provided would be much appreciated. Thanks. Lifetime Dan. So Andrew, what is your question? What is your thoughts on Dan's really, really interesting question? Yeah, I really appreciate the writing in, Dan, and um, glad to hear you're enjoying all of the content. 
it, it, to me, it comes down to a big fundamental question is, what's my goal for this? And I know that sounds kind of, you know, kind of just very personalized, but really it's like, if you are making a portfolio where you are buying cheap stocks and then selling them when they become fairly valued, buying more cheap stocks, selling them when they're fairly valued, then yeah, once a stock is out of your screener, if you have something better to replace it, then that's probably what you should do. And that can work for you very well over very short time periods. And on the other hand, if you're buying stocks that you're looking to hold for decades, that might not be the best way to go. And so I think when you look at trying to buy good businesses over the very long term, what looks cheap to you might might not look cheap from a numbers basis necessarily compared to everything else, but it could still be a good price. And at that point, if you're really in as a business owner for the long term, it doesn't matter and it should not matter to you what the price is in the market because you know this is something that you want to hold for for decades. And so, you know, you know, maybe before we lose people who just started to tune in today, you know, what's a stock screener? A stock screener is something where you can put different metrics in and and it will filter a group of stocks with that criteria. So if I want to take like a very simple like price to earnings ratio, which is one of the most common ratios that's used to approximate a price or valuation for a stock, you know, you can use a screener to say, hey, show me only price to earnings ratios below 10 or below 15. And so you can get a list of a lot of the statistically cheap stocks in the market. And so when you're doing that, you know, you'll find a lot of these stocks that get temporarily beaten up and out of favor, but you also find a lot of stocks that might not have great businesses underneath them. And that's why they are cheap. And so, you know, while Wall Street is emotional, it's also not dumb. And so a lot of times it, there something could look too good to be true. And so you have to be careful with that. When you have positions in your portfolio and, and you look at them and they've gone up in price, the question does become what, you know, you, you want to look at the companies and, and think about, you know, are, are these companies I can really see myself in for the long term? And so, you know, when I try to think about what kind of a company does that, it's really going to be companies that can take your money and put it to good use. And so whether that's them giving it back in, in a dividend or through buybacks, or whether that's them reinvesting in themselves and being able to grow and compound, those are the things that you want to look for. And those show up in the number. And the answer to whether a stock is a good business, I think, is a separate question from whether it's still cheap or not. And, and it's an important distinction, but something that I think people should take into account. I agree with all that. And I think a really good way to think about that is when you're looking at companies to screen and you're looking to invest in them, using the stock screener is obviously a great way to help you narrow down your choices. Because when you just start looking at the vast universe of companies that are available to buy, it's a lot. It's tens, not tens of thousands in the United States, but it's you know thousands. And so it can be overwhelming. So using a screener to help you narrow down those choices is a great tool. One of the things that I think about, and Andrew and I have talked about this in the past as well for him, and I do this the same way, is 
when you're thinking about whether the company is whether you want to keep a holding it or whether you want to sell it, a great question to ask yourself is has anything fundamentally changed about the company? In that, is it something that they've stopped making whatever it is they're making? Have management completely turned over? Is the product or service that they offer completely become unrelevant? Perfect example, Kodak. You know, Kodak was the king for a long, long time. And then these little cell phone things came out and then all of a sudden digital photographs were the thing and the old analog type of taking pictures and processing film that just kind of died a horrible death and Kodak didn't adapt and they got caught flat footed and boom, they're out of, they're not out of business, but they're certainly not relevant. And at one point they were one of the largest companies in the market and now they're, you know, I don't know what. I don't know what their market cap is, but it's quite small. Anyway, that, that's a perfect example of a company that something fundamentally changed. The universe in which they existed fundamentally changed, and so we needed to sell out of that company. It, you could look at some of the oil majors today and wonder: Is something going on that would cause you to fund that would cause them to fundamentally change? And that they they either need to adapt or they're going to die. It could happen. I don't know. It could it could take a while, but it's certainly something to consider if you're going to buy a Exxon or a Chevron. But the flip side of that is, like Andrew was saying, if you screen right now, you might see some of those companies, and they'll and you think, oh God, you know this is great. You know, a, a five star or a blue chip type company like a Chevron or Exxon is trading at the super low PE. This might be a great time to buy in, but you have to ask that extra question. Why is it so cheap? Why is this company that was so awesome five years ago, 10 years ago, now so cheap? What, what's happened? And so those are some of the questions that you need to ask beyond just looking at the numbers. And obviously, looking at the numbers are great, and the numbers tell you a story. And a low PE for a company like Chevron or Exxon is telling you a story just like a high PE for a company like Adobe or Facebook is telling you another story. And our job is to try to figure out how to decipher what those stories are. And that's what makes investing interesting and fun and a challenge because it's not easy to to pick up that book and figure out what it's trying to tell you. You have to sometimes think a little bit between the lines. And so I guess my thought is for for Dan's great question is when you're looking at the stock screener and a company moves out of it, in some cases, that's actually a good thing is because the company is improving its metrics and it's becoming, the market is starting to recognize, hey, this is a really good company and they're starting to bid the price up. And so your shares that you bought at a cheaper price are now worth more. And so I guess it's your decision then is trying to decide whether you want to continue to hang on to that company or whether you want to take the the gains and try to find another cheaper company and try to work that up. Really, the, uh, there's no right or wrong answer to that. That really comes down to your personal preference and how much you want to do. Sometimes you do want to, to move on to another company because A, it's more interesting and it keeps you challenged. But I also challenge you to think of this. Charlie Munger said once that the greatest challenge to compounding is not interrupting it unnecessarily. 
And so if you got a great company that you've bought really cheap and it's going through the roof, then sometimes it's best to just step away and get out of the way and let the thing do its thing until it gets to a point where you just don't feel comfortable holding it anymore and then you can sell out of it. But anyway, those are, I guess, some of my thoughts along those lines. Andrew, did you have anything else you'd like to add to Dan's question? I mean, I'm thinking just to give a a tangible example of kind of taking that second question over where you're asking, why is this company so cheap? I think you can look at something like, I think a, a good example is when I think of like when I bought Cisco years ago, the numbers were all saying everything was fine. It was just people were, people were convinced that they were done. Like that, that for whatever reason, their technology was going to be obsolete, but the numbers were still there the backup that they were good. But like on another side, you can look at a company like where their revenues are going down, their profits have been going down. And so they have a ratio. So those are two very different stories. One is like people think that they're over the hill. A second story is they are over the hill. Look at their numbers. They're falling through the roof. So it's not, though it is very like individual to what the stock is. It doesn't need to be super complicated or complex. Sometimes it can come down to something as simple as looking at which way are the numbers going. Also understanding that, hey, companies also go through stumbles. Like if you're a sports fan, and you know that you have a, a player who's really, really good and he goes through a slump, the team doesn't just trade them, you know? And so you have to distinguish between, you know, what's a company looking like, what's their trend looking like, and then, you know, how does that compare with like the whole picture? And so that's why I like I like the questions you're asking, you know, like is is the business model obsolete? Has it fundamentally changed, right? Big picture type of things. And and those are the things. I think the similar type of questions that you can ask when you're wondering if you're wanting to sell something that's gone up, because I think in answering that question, you can get a lot of the answer to what to do with this stock. Those are great insights, Dan. I hope that helps answer your question. So I think I think those are all things that you need to consider when you're looking at whether you want to buy, sell, or how you want to handle that. But those are think of think of all those ideas, and I think that'll help you a lot. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the next question. So I have, hi, Andrew. With interest rates on savings at an all-time low, investing is the smarter play for long-term value. However, is investing worth it if you need to cash out within a few years? In around two to three years, I will need to pay for surgery that has a likely cost of $50,000. Assuming I can maintain my current rate of savings, I will still need to acquire a loan of up to 15000 to fully pay for the surgery, plus all the savings I've accrued until then. A strong ROI could reduce the loan I need to take out, but given the volatility of investments, building a portfolio that I will be selling off in a couple of years could increase the loan. While investments pay off in the long term, given the short period that I will be holding, I'm not sure if, it's, if the risk is worth taking for my capital. Any thoughts would be greatly appreciated. Kind regards, Kara. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Kara's question? Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. 
It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Definitely time frame does make a big difference on the likelihood that you will succeed. I think it's easy for investors to look at the recent past. There's a psychological term for it too. I think it's recency bias. But basically, it's this idea that whatever has happened in the past couple of years is what's going to happen in the next couple of years. So even like a perfect example is, and I fall victim to it too, just like anybody else. So don't think I'm better than anybody. But you know, we could look at the stock market crash in 2020 and how it crashed and then it rebounded. So everybody said, man, why didn't everybody just buy the dip? And I remember you can even go back into the archives and you can listen. I mean, there was a lot of talk about it being the next Great Depression. And so, you know, we have this idea now that wherever the next crash happens, that it's just going to be another buy the dip. But what that is, is it's recency bias. That's not necessarily what could actually happen. And so that's what makes the stock market difficult is over very, very long time periods, you'll have it going up most of the time. You'll have it dip and going up most of the time. But then every once in a while, you'll get this really, really bad five, maybe seven, even 10 or 13 year time period where stocks just don't do anything. People don't want anything to do with the stock market. And that's exactly what you don't want to happen if you have a big expense to pay. So even though probably nine out of 10 times you might be okay investing in the market, it will just take that one time to, to, for the market to turn against you. And now all of a sudden you have to get into more debt. And I would never advocate getting into debt in order to invest. I think 
you really want to get your financial house in order, put that foundation down. And then once you do have that, then whatever you're making from your investments is just icing on the cake. You know, we don't want people to go mortgaging their homes and living in homeless shelters so you can go get dividends. It just it doesn't make any sense at all. And if you think that's gonna help you sleep at night, even in the safest investments, I don't think it will. So though it is it does make sense kind of logically. You have to think about really what the long-term history of the stock market has been and what's the risk reward, you know? And and to me, it's not worth even a one in ten chance that I'm gonna have to go into debt in order to to get a better return. It's just not worth it. No, it isn't. And and the the idea of I guess trying to pick the company or the companies that could get you to the point where you want to be, it's 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 a gamble. There's just no other way to to put it. There it, it's taking a chance. You don't there's no guarantees. Even if you talk about the big movers and shakers in the market, there's no guarantee that they will perform well for the period of time that you need them to perform well. And that's what makes investing and particularly investing in the stock market so difficult. You know, granted, there have been some companies over the last year or so that have gone nuts, and there have been some people that have done really, really well with those, but there's also a lot of people that have not done well with those. You know, depending on when you get in on a particular company, you could either be at the top of how the company has performed or not. And let's, I'm not picking on Peloton, but if you just take the price of Peloton right now, let's say that you think that that's going to be the, the, the stock that will help get you to the balance that you need to help pay for whatever it may be, whether it's a house, a car, surgery, any, anything of that nature that you're trying to gather money for, for in a shorter period of time. If you had bet on Peloton, let's say prior to the pandemic, you could have done really well if you would have sold out here in the last, I don't know, two months ago, three months ago, you would have done really well. However, if you had bought it, let's say in December of 2020, and you still needed another two years to get to where you're going to be, it might be a, a tough road to hoe with that company. I'm not saying that the company is bad. I'm not saying the product is bad. I'm not saying it's a bad investment. But what I am saying is, is it's down 30 or 40% off of its high. And to recover back to that high and to continue to go higher is unlikely. And it's also going to have to do some serious, serious you know, growth to get back to that level. And so it just kind of helps illustrate how challenging something like that can be. And if you pick the right companies, yeah, you could do well, but it's such a gamble. And that's certainly not anything that Andrew and I advocate for. And we, it's just not a, it's not a prudent thing, a, a wise, I guess, margin of safety type thing to do because it's, it's gambling and there's just no other way to put it. And there's nothing, there would be nothing worse. I would hate to have somebody go out there, tell them to go buy all these companies and two months before they need to go pay for something important, like buying a house or a car or the surgery that the car I was talking about, that all of a sudden the stock market crashes 
two weeks before she's got to pay for everything and it loses half of its value. What do you do? I mean, it's, it's terrible. And so that's why when you're thinking about these kinds of things, it's better to figure out a way to do it safely and to be a little more prudent about it. And if that means putting the money in your savings account or putting it in a CD at a bank or even which don't pay the greatest interest, but they're guaranteed that they're not going to lose value. So those kinds of things could help you earn a little bit of money, but are still going to be safe. So those are options, but putting all that money in the market in the hopes that you're going to accelerate it that much is it's chancy. And that's not something Andrew and I advocate for somebody because like Andrew was saying, we don't want to, you know, putting all this money into the market and then you can't pay for what you want. You lose everything. And then, you know, you're homeless and you're having to try to live off of dividends from a company. Yeah. That's just not the way to go for sure. It's tough, you know, because we go into the market wanting to make money. Really, where the big money is made in the market is when you're compounding that stuff over a very long time period. So you're not talking about one year, you're not talking about two years. Even after five years, I mean, the compact, you can start to see the ball rolling after five years, but really the magic happens 10 years, 20 years. Yeah, exactly. And it's just from those little things adding up. It is. And, a lot of people don't realize this, but Warren Buffett really didn't become Warren Buffett wealthy like he is now until he was around in the, around his seventies, and he had been investing since he was ten years old. So, you know, he's been professionally doing it for fifty plus years, but he really didn't start, you know, reaching the the oh my god he's wealthy <laughs> number until about the last twenty years of his life. So. It's a it, you know it's a slow burn. It's not going to be something where you're going to strike it rich overnight. You know the Bitcoin billionaires is it's not a lot of people. So anyway, that's my thought. What was that quote from Munger? He said the first hundred thousand or the first million is the hardest. Was hundred thousand? The hundred thousand, yeah, is the hardest. Because yeah. I mean, you think about it, like if you make ten percent on like a thousand bucks. It's not much, right? You make 10% on a million. Now you're talking about a hundred thousand. So, you know, again, as, as it gets bigger, it compounds on itself and the dollar amounts become bigger. It's just when you're first starting out and certainly not in a couple of years, you're not going to be able to really move the needle unless you get into a Peloton before the pandemic. But we don't know how to tell you exactly how to do that for any particular stock. No, no, we don't. Nope. We do not have a crystal ball, unfortunately. If we did, we'd share it with you. All right. So let's move on to the last question. So we have uh, Andrew just started the IFB podcast from the beginning a couple weeks ago, about 20 episodes deep already. I really, really appreciate the info. I do have a question that you may answer on the show eventually, but it's been killing me lately. I found a smaller cap company that hits every fundamental marker you have discussed. PE is below 10. Price to book is good. Cash is good. Everything looks pretty good. Price of the stock is a little over $4. If this was a bigger company, and I have no doubt I'd buy this as I'm using the value investor mindset. However, I'm not sure how to evaluate if this is a good buy as it is a smaller company that flies way under the radar. Any thoughts or advice? Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So kind of going back to what we said at the beginning of the show, right? Let's 
what I would do if I was in, in who was it? I think it Corey. was yeah, Corey. Yeah. If I was in Corey's shoes, what I would do, I would go into the, the annual report, the 10K, and let's learn about what this business does. And so, you know, is it a big fish in a small pond or is it a small fish in a massive pond? So as an example, you know, if I don't know, give me give me like a big tech company. Facebook. Facebook. Okay. So if we had somebody who made like social media for pets or something, and you know, they're they had like maybe a hundred million dollars in revenue or something, which would be generous, right? Maybe they, they have like, I don't know, one million pets on their platform, something something really small. Even if the company was cheap, I don't think I would want to buy that because all it would take would be for Facebook to say, oh yeah, we just added a pets feature and they would be able to so much more cheaply move into your industry versus you had to do this, like this this other pet company had to do it organically, right? Facebook could just make a tab on their page, instantly get all these users and build their own. And so in that case, you know, I don't care how cheap the company is. I don't think I would want to play there. On on the flip side, you know, some of the other good small companies I've seen are the ones where they're relatively shielded from the bigger players. So whether they have like relationships with some of these or they're just like they're they're interconnectors, you know, if they have like distributor relationships wherever they wherever they fit. But if they are the big fish in their small pond, then I like that kind of a company a lot better because they're just all they have to do is beat the person who's who's closest to them like if you're if you're uh, running away from a bear you don't necessarily have to outrun the bear you just have to outrun the person who's next to you so in certain industries that's kind of how it is too and you know there's always a risk of any kind of amazon type company coming in and just i mean amazon thinks they can they can enter whatever business they want these days you know that's always a risk and that's with any business but a lot of times you can figure out and you can you can tell a difference between you know some really really small company who's going up against huge massive nuclear weapons and they have little knives in their in their pockets or you can look at something where it's a little bit more sustainable and there actually could be a good competitive advantage and i think that has a huge factor um, when you're looking at small companies on if they have a good chance to succeed moving forward or not. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think the the idea that you need to learn about the company, I think is probably the greatest takeaway from what Andrew was just saying. Because when you look at the numbers, like we were saying earlier, the numbers tell you a story. But if you don't understand what the story is telling you, then it's hard to make a decision. And to really understand those numbers, you really need to understand what it is the company does and how they make money and how they operate in the ecosystem that they operate in. Because like Andrew was saying, if they're a small fish in a small pond, then maybe that's not the greatest thing. But if they're a big fish in a small pond, then that gives them the opportunity to continue to grow and dominate that pond and grow beyond that pond. Whereas if they are somebody in a niche that one of the big tech companies operate in, it's quite easy for one of those companies eventually to gobble them up. And so I think that's a one, I think that's probably the greatest takeaway I would recommend is, is learn, learn more about the company, read through the 10 K read through any financials that you can find, listen to earnings calls, 
do some of that due diligence to learn more about the company because once you know more about the company, then the numbers start to make even more sense and it will help you make those decisions because that's the hardest part is is trying to figure out you know, hey, I found this great company. It's you know, all the screeners make it, you know, look awesome. But if we don't really know what the company does, it's really hard to think about how it can make money and how it could be successful as an investment. And uh, I don't remember who said this, but it might have been Peter Lynch. He said, when you think about a company, think about being able to describe it to a 10-year-old and how it operates. And if you can do that, if you can break the company down into a simple way that they can you can explain to somebody that doesn't understand anything about the business, then you really understand the company and that can help you make your decision. It doesn't mean you have to read 10,000 different kinds of information about the company, but it certainly means you need to know a little bit about what it does and how, how it operates. And I think once, once you understand those kinds of things, I think everything Andrew was telling you will, will start to make sense and it'll, it'll, it'll come a lot clearer to you when you think about it. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversations for tonight. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to listen, as well as to, to send us these great questions. Keep them coming. This is awesome. We are at episode 200. That is amazing. We thank you very much for continuing to support us and enjoy what we're trying to teach you and for learning everything we've been teaching you guys and continue to go out there and do a great job. Continue to invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you guys all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.